Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Tired of having to vote to fix rebases? Don't want to worry about governance? Base.money is here. Based money removes the things like broken rebases and dumb governance and replaces them with working rebases and absent founders designed to pump bags like never before and presents a new economic mechanism designed for degenerate DeFi chats just like you. Can't farm it? Then just base it. Tired of farming assets that actually do something? Farm something that does nothing. Based pumps. Based God, based money is here to base money in the most based way ever. Don't know what a rebase is? Doesn't matter. Punt it. These bags will get your forearms so big that your mother will try to force you to leave the basement. But you'll be so strong that she won't be able to push you around anymore. Getting based is easy. You just stake your baseless curve SUSD V2 LP tokens that you got from the SUSD V2 pool. Really, it's that simple. But be sure to get in before Sassel on Twitter leaks all the alpha. Tired of being a DeFi virgin? Be a Chad. Get based. It is 8.46 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's August the 19th, 2020, and it's the first day of virtual school for my kids, one of which is in the room with me. So this is going to be completely different. I have no idea if it's going to be an utter fail, but let's give it a shot, okay? So uh, if you hear likes like, Dad, help, uh, you know know what's going on. So... um, The very first thing that I want to talk about is what you heard at the front of the show. Uh, I don't know who these women are. It is a video that I ripped the MP3 from. Uh, It actually got to me from Joseph D. Long. That is going to be at Joseph D-E-L-O-N-G. It just says, this is based AF, and then it gives this video. I have no idea if he produced this. I have no idea what's going on, but I know I laughed. Oh, my God. It was, yeah. And it pretty much defines exactly what's going on with with DeFi right now. So, I hope you enjoyed it, because God knows I sure did. Now, grab your power-ups at the arsenal. That's swanbitcoin.com forward slash arsenal brought to you by our good friends at Swan Bitcoin. What it is is a repository of all types of memes from some of your favorite Bitcoin artists. And you can just go right click on whatever picture you want, save it as a photo and meme the living daylights out of it. How's that, man? Uh, It's probably not a terrible idea to give credit like, you know, to Lucio or to uh, self, <clears throat> self-banked or whoever it is that you're going to use. But if you'd make the mistake and not put the guy in, I don't think that they're going to hurt, you know, I don't think they're going to be hurt because you're spreading their artwork around the world, right? All right. So again, that is swanbitcoin.com forward slash arsenal for all of your Bitcoin memes to spread the word, get the word in the streets, yada, yada, yada. I've already used them twice, and it's been real nice. Sats are the native unit for lighting. Both physical zine purchases opening on Friday and donations now default to lightning payments. On-chain Bitcoin still an option. Fiat, debt coupons, and shit coins not an option. That's that's correct. What am I talking about? Citadel21.com. Friday is coming up, and their, their physical magazine is going to go on sale. So I hooked up for the first time. I finally got it done. It was supposed to be done a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't do it. I was supposed to get my uh, strike account and all the, or my strike wallet all set up with my bank account. I finally did that yesterday afternoon while watching my daughter ride horses for her horse riding lesson. It was really pretty cool because I was able to do it all from my phone in the car, and it was pretty quick to just hook up my checking account to uh, to my strike, and 
the first what the very first thing that I did with it was or well the very first thing I did with it was to load it up with like a hundred bucks from my bank account. But the very first thing that I did with it that is of note is to send a lightning payment to uh, Citadel 21 in the amount of $1 through their donate button that defaults to lightning via BTC pay server. And it gave me a QR code for, you know, like 8,500 and change in sats. And I took a picture of that with the, uh, with the, uh, L with LN strike and it automatically sent a buck out of my, uh, out of my reserve in strike to uh citadel 21 is a donation i know cheapskate right now nah, actually it was just a test because what i'm really going to do is buy the magazine when it goes on sale on on friday so again the guys over there at citadel 21 have uh sent off all of the stuff to the printer and it should be getting printed up as we speak uh and we'll be able to buy one and get a physical magazine and i'm really excited about that Again, guys, give me a break if I am like kind of like not, you know, on the ball because everything today, the whole morning routine is completely disrupted uh, due to this online school thing. The independent school district, they're trying, they're trying real hard, but man, this is just a circus. And I know, I know I, it's a circus. Also, the last thing that I'm going to say about Citadel21.com and you can find them on Twitter at CTDL21, the numbers 21, at CTDL21, um, is that they apparently have, they were going to release 500 magazines, uh, the physical print edition I was talking about. They have increased that to 1,000 because they're getting a lot of people that are very, very interested in buying that particular magazine. So they've already, before it's gone, before it's even printed, they had to call the printer and say, Double it, bro. Double it. This is good news. This is actually very, very, very good news. Now, um, I'm not going to read the whole thread because it's long, but Tahini's Restaurants, uh, that is at the real Tahini, T-H-I-N-I-S, okay? Uh, they uh, have a thread. As a small company that started in London, Ontario, Canada, we operate four corporate locations and three franchise locations about to open up in Ontario. We just converted our entire cash reserves that were originally used as savings into Bitcoin. Time for a thread. So, and then they, the thread basically kind of outlines where, you know, that they were in trouble. They had to lay off a bunch of staff. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of stimulus came through. People started coming, you know, ordering stuff through the restaurant. This restaurant was, you know, cash flowing pretty good. They ended up kind of flush with cash and they converted it into Bitcoin, a la a micro strategy. Yeah. Just so now we've got even, so we got micro strategy that did this with $250 million of their $500 million cash reserves. And now we've got a very small restaurant chain in Canada that did the exact same thing. So from the very top end, the very top, 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 tippy top that you can get. Well, okay, not the very top. I'm sure they're like, it's not like Apple converted all their cash into Bitcoin, but still $250 million ain't nothing to sneeze at. And then we go all the way down to like a local restaurant franchise and they're doing it too. So Buckle up, buttercup. That's all I can really say about that. Um, let's see. Is there anything else that we need to do? Nope. I think that's going to do it for the uh, community news. We'll start up the morning roundup here in a second. All right, welcome to the morning roundup. First up, Bitcoin hash rate drops 10 to 20% due to massive floods in China. Ooh, yeah, they're having some bad problems. This is going to be Akesh Gerimath over at ambcrypto.com. As of Tuesday, Bitcoin hash rate dropped by 25% due to massive landslides in Sichuan province. The landslides caused by heavy downpour caused the Sichuan province to trigger a level one response the highest in its tier four tier emergency response system. Man, man, dude, that's like DEFCON one, bro. 
with Bitcoin successfully breaching the $12,000 level, well, not right now, anyway, uh, things seem to be doing well for miners, considering cheap electricity costs due to the hydro season and Bitcoin price. The hash rate did hit a record average high of 129 exahashes per second as of August the 15th. However, with the recent development in Sichuan and minor concentration in the area, the hash rate drop is obvious. In effect, the hash rate dropped from 140 exahashes to 105 exahashes per second. The top mining pool, Poolin, saw a 20% drop in its hash rate from 20 exahashes to 16. The same drop can be seen with F2 pool and other top five mining pools. So Poolin uh, had a 19% change to the downside. F2, 28% to the downside. BTC.com is 16.8. Amp pool 25 and a half and Huobi pool is 27 and a half all clearly all to the downside. This will affect Bitcoin difficulty, which was positively adjusted with an increase of 0.59%. On average, the difficulty adjustment has been positive since June 16th. However, the drop in hash rate due to the landslides might affect this with a negative adjustment difficulty soon. This is the third major drop in hash rate in 2020, with the first drop in March, the second during the Bitcoin halving, and finally the third drop comes as of August the 18th. So there you go. All right, up next, we have Roger Ver telling disgruntled Bitcoin cash faction to buy Dash. This is by Mike Dalton from CryptoBriefing.com. Supporters of the Bcash infrastructure funding plan should support Dash instead, said Roger Ver. Bcash leader Roger Ver has suggested that disgruntled developers should sell their BCH holdings and buy Dash in light of an upcoming change to the blockchain. Now I'm going to hold right there because I kind of got taken uh, down a couple of notches by our good friend yeah, <laughs> he's our, he's my favorite Transylvanian like ever. And he reminded me that this is, uh, in his opinion, at least, that this is a little bit misleading. So I've got to give a disclaimer. It may be misleading, but honestly, after reading it, I'm like, it still amounts to the same shit. I've been told that what he said is, not to sell BCH and buy Dash, but instead of forking BCH to use Dash. So there's there's a little bit of nuance, but in either events, he's still telling people of his own, like the his own Bcash people, he's telling them, you know what, screw you, go use Dash. I honestly don't see that much of a difference. I really don't. So he says, quote, there is already a peer-to-peer electronic cash coin with IFP. It's called Dash. I suggest IFP supporters sell their BCH for Dash and start working on that chain, said Roger Ver. So I, I, I don't know. Let me actually, I'm going to click this link where it says, said Roger Ver, and see exactly. And it seems that from memory dealers over on uh, Reddit, which is definitely him, he says there is already a peer-to-peer electronic cash coin uh cash cash coin with IFP is called Dash. I suggest IFP supporters sell their BCH for Dash and start working on that chain. So that's coming directly from Roger. All right, so this is this is definitely Roger because the user is memory dealers. And if you if you've been around the space for a while, uh that is his ancient ass Reddit account name because he used to be, well, that was his business back in the day before uh, Bitcoin came around was memory dealer. So I don't know, man. Sounds like he's telling people to sell BCH for Dash uh, to me. So, well, anyway, his comments concern Bcash's infrastructure funding plan or the IFP, a hotly debated addition that may arrive in November. IFP in its current form will direct 8% of the block rewards to developers. This fund will, in turn, deprive BCH miners of income. Yeah, that's not going to go over real well. We've been talking about this for a while. It's not clear if Ver's endorsement of Dash is serious or sarcastic. However, his point is clear. Dash uses a funding model that is similar to the one advocated by IFP proponents in the Bitcoin Cash community. That is, Dash allocates some of its mining rewards toward developers through a set of programmed rules. One commenter noted that Dash's approaches 
more rigorous than IFP because Dash developers must be approved by Masternode operators before they receive funds. Oh, ow. Ver replied that this sounds a lot better than the IFP proposal. Oh, man. So you got to be approved to get money. That's gatekeeping. I'm just saying it's gatekeeping. The Bcash community has been divided over IFP since February. The proposal has been brought up and dropped multiple times, but it has ultimately re-entered the spotlight as a blockchain's November upgrade approaches this week. Bitcoin ABC added IFP to the latest release of their Bitcoin Cash Node software. More controversially, ABC listed the same feature on BitcoinCash.org, something that ABC arguably has no right to do, given that there are competing nodes that oppose IFP. Support for IFP has come mainly from the Chinese mining community, where the idea is much less controversial. Controversial. Their support means that the feature has already been built into future upgrades, but it will ultimately be up to the miners to activate IFP this November. There is plenty of debate about whether the disagreement will cause the project to split into two coins in November. If there is a fork, the event would be seen as a repeat of 2018 when disagreements over block sizes caused BSV to fork away from Bcash. Even if Bcash does split, it is not clear how that event will be perceived. It could devastate Bcash's reputation or it could prove that Bcash is strong enough to withstand multiple splits. Nothing is strong enough to withstand multiple splits. I mean, you just whittle it away down to nothing. Oh, whatever. Recent discussions suggest that developers intend to reach a compromise. In that case, dissatisfied miners and developers may simply leave the Bcash community and support another chain. So what does this all mean? It means it's a circus. It's always been a circus. It was always going to be a circus. We were us maximalist. We're saying that Bcash was going to split. Everybody pointed their fingers at us and laughed. And what what the what happened? BSV. Yeah, we were right. We're we're always right, man. Plan B: Glassnode bullish on Bitcoin as price enters the belief zone. Frederick Vold. Frederick Vold is writing this one today for CryptoNews.com. While the pseudonymous analyst behind Bitcoin BTC stock to flow or the S2F model and an on-chain analysis firm are both expressing their bullishness on Bitcoin, market sentiment is steadily improving for the number one cryptocurrency. Plan B, the analyst behind the popular and sometimes controversial S2F model tweeted yesterday that Bitcoin is looking strong with a reading on popular technical indicator relative strength index above 64. Well, that depends on what time frame you're looking at. Just saying, I mean, I, I can go to trading view and change it from 15 minutes to an hour, to a week, to a day, to a month, to four hours. And the RSIs are always different. So which RSI are we talking about? What time frame is this? It's above 64. I, is this the year, the month? I, yeah. Quote, bull market confirmed, the analyst added, while sharing a chart that showed how the RSI has changed over Bitcoin's lifetime. Commenting on the update from the popular analyst, one user dismissed the tweet by saying, quote, it should already be priced in since it is public knowledge, end quote, while another member of the crypto community argued that there are still few people that really understand Bitcoin. Quote, who understands Bitcoin? Maybe 0.1%? Who understands the Bitcoin halvings? 0.001%? We are early. Nothing's priced in, the Twitter user replied. Meanwhile, according to on-chain analysis firm Glassnode, the Bitcoin network's net unrealized profit and loss is broken into what they call the belief zone on the chart. According to the firm's model, this is the stage of a bull market where traders largely believe in the rally and it comes before the more extreme phase of the bull market called the euphoria stage, which the Bitcoin market last entered in 2017. The net unrealized profit and loss measures the difference between the unrealized profit and unrealized loss of Bitcoin holders, meaning how much investors would stand to gain or lose if all Bitcoins were sold at the current market price. Similarly, 
Bitcoin chain or sorry, blockchain data for the Bitcoin network from analytics firm Info into the block also revealed that a large majority of Bitcoin holders are in the green on their investments at current prices with 91% of hodlers estimated to be quote in the money. The high share of profitable Bitcoin holders has contributed to a sentiment boost the cryptocurrency or sentiment boost towards the cryptocurrency, although a decline in the growth of new wallets and a reduction in large transactions made have contributed to an overall neutral outlook for the Bitcoin price, according to the firm's algorithms. Meanwhile, as reported, Bitcoin price failed to extend gains above 12,500 and started a corrective decrease. That's called a BART. Yeah, this is the BART pattern. It dropped below uh, 12200 and $12,000 support levels currently trading below $12,000, and it might continue lower towards 11550 which is the last support zone. So there you go. We are in these phases, and I guess they're saying that we are, we are now believers. Well, you know, I've been a believer for a while. Another Bitcoin on Ethereum DeFi token is taking off. The total supply, or sorry, the supply of REN BTC, a wrapped Bitcoin competitor, putting Bitcoin value on the Ethereum blockchain has jumped 200% in less than a week. This is Alexander Behrens writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. And honestly, this is your daily reminder. There is no such thing as Bitcoin on Ethereum. It does not exist in any form whatsoever, whether it's wrapped BTC or this REN BTC, it's all a lie. It can't go there. And if you want proof, then by all means, why don't you grab your Bitcoin wallet and with either a SegWit address or a legacy address why, you know, uh, or wallet, why don't you send a few Satoshis to your Ethereum wallet and see how that works out for you. There's no such thing as Bitcoin on Ethereum. What you're doing is you're giving somebody custody of your actual Bitcoin, which remains on chain because it has to, and they are giving you a turd, and they call it wrapped BTC, or in this case, REN BTC. But it is a, it is a thing, all right? It is a trend and we you need to be prepared. So here you go. Wrapped Bitcoin isn't the only Bitcoin to Ethereum value transfer taking DeFi by storm. REN's projects, REN BTC, has seen a nearly 200% increase from $59 million to more than $176 million in locked BTC transfer to the Ethereum blockchain. That's not true. Since August 13th, according to data collected from DeFi Pulse, Okay, they should know better. There's no such thing as Bitcoin on Ethereum, right? Please stop saying that. The substantial increase comes as DeFi continues to hit new heights in scamming. I mean, in total value, locked in, mar in market cap, placing RenBTC firmly in second place is the favored method of porting Bitcoin value to Ethereum. See, that's actually the, a better way to put it, okay? Porting Bitcoin value to Ethereum behind wrapped Bitcoin or WBTC. The sharp growth is more evidence that Bitcoin holders are eager to get into the DeFi game on Ethereum and are finding a variety of ways to do so. REN BTC is a product of REN, an open protocol designed to facilitate cross-chain liquidity transfers between blockchains such as Ethereum, Bitcoin, Bcash, and more. Unlike Wrapped BTC, which uses a system of trusted third-party custodians to mint new WBTC tokens, REN BTC, and other REN-based assets are generated or destroyed using smart contracts. Singapore-based REN was founded in 2017 and raised more than $34 million in a 2018 ICO. REN BTC was released in May of 2020. The recent integration of REN into MyEtherWallet may be responsible for some of the recent increase in interests. The recent spike in REN BTC issuance increased the total supply to more than 10,000 on Monday. That's an average of more than 100 Bitcoin converted to REN BTC every day since launch. By contrast, RAP BTC is now more than 28,750. A launch in November of 2018 put the average conversion at around 45 Bitcoin per day, with the vast majority of those occurring since May of 2020. According to data gathered for Dune Analytics, the 
total number of Bitcoin now transferred to the Ethereum blockchain. Again, that's not correct. It's not transferred. The value is being transferred, but not the Bitcoin. Bitcoin can't exist on Ethereum. Please keep that in mind. It's very, very important. The total number of Bitcoin now transferred to the Ethereum blockchain is more than 44,000 worth more than half a billion dollars. That equates to more than 1% of total Ethereum market cap of about $47.8 billion and more than 0.2% of the value of the total Bitcoin market cap of $222.8 billion. Decrypt reported earlier in August that RenBTC was approaching 10% of the total supply of Bitcoin locked on Ethereum. In just a week's time, that figure has grown to more than 22%, even as the total supply of Bitcoin on Ethereum continues to expand across the board. Such changes could be early indicators that while wrapped BTC is the go-to method for transferring liquidity today, the non-custodial RenBTC may be the preferred option of tomorrow. So there you go. Now, again... I'm just going to hit this one more time. Um, sorry, <clears throat> continual interruptions, which is why this show is going to be really, really rough. I apologize, but I would rather release a rough ass show than to not have any show at all. Okay. So I want to say this for the last, it's not going to be the last time that I bitch about the situation with quote unquote wrapped BTC and the fact that that's not really real. So I'm just going to, but for now, I'm going to put it like this. If you think of an electrical transformer, okay, those gray things that sit on telephone poles that take voltage from high voltage lines and reduce the voltage um, to your, to your house. And the way they do it is by sending high voltage through a coil that is separated by an insulating fluid um, from, you know, it's insulated insofar as it's not grounded. It, that, that, that tank, that gray tank, the transformer has two coils in it and they're close together, but they're not touching. So the high voltage comes in, it hits this, the high voltage coil, the magnetic field that it generates in that coil, like if you ever remember wrapping a wire around a nail and connecting it to a battery, that magnetic field induces a different voltage into the other coil. And the reason it's a different voltage is because the other coil is not the same size as the high voltage coil. So the, the way that works is it goes through the insulation fluid. It doesn't touch. So it's not like lightning and stuff is going across. Okay. It induces the it induces an elect, a different electrical field in the other coil that ends up being given this coil size, a different voltage. And that goes to your house. And that's how you get 110 volts, 220 volts, 240 volts. That's the way that works because the stuff that's going through the, you know, through the uh, regular electric lines can be like 10,000 volts. The major high transmission lines are like 100,000 volts, 200,000 volts, and they also get reduced in their voltage through transformers. That's all this is. It's not like I'm actually putting Bitcoin on Ethereum. I'm inducing a value from the Bitcoin chain to the Ethereum chain. But in the end, Ethereum is not good. I would not use it. I don't use it. I tell everybody I can to run as far away from it as humanly possible. And now that Vitalik seems to be losing his narrative, it seems inevitable that at one point or another, this is going to crumble. And I think it's going to happen when they turn on proof of stake. And if it doesn't happen then, then it's probably going to happen during sharding. If everything goes as planned on their side, I get it whatever, but I don't know, man, I got a bad feeling about it, which is why I'm glad that I don't actually hold any Ethereum at all. If I, the only thing that I got left is like 1.2 ETC and I'm just too lazy to go sell it. I, I, it's not even worth my time for the $7 that I'll get. Airbit Club Ponzi operators charged with fraud and money laundering proceeds were spent on luxury cars, jewelry, real estate, rather than cryptocurrency mining and trading. <laughs> it literally says, surprise, surprise. 
Jack Martin's got a good sense of humor and he's doing it for Cointelegraph sometime earlier this morning. The operators of a global cryptocurrency-based Ponzi scheme have been charged with fraud and money laundering following a United States Homeland Security investigations probed. According to an announcement from the United States Department of Justice, four of the five alleged operators of Airbit Club which allegedly netted tens of millions of dollars from victims, were arrested and due to appear in court on August the 18th, that was yesterday, while the 5th was arrested in Panama and is awaiting extradition to the United States. The scheme was launched in late 2015 and sold as a multi-level marketing club in the cryptocurrency industry, I remember this. The defendants purportedly hosted lavish presentations to encourage investors to part with cash, promising guaranteed daily returns from cryptocurrency mining and trading. While an online portal for investors did indeed show these profits building up, there was in fact no cryptocurrency mining or trading taking place. Instead, the money deposited was spent on luxury goods, real estate, and were allegedly used to finance even more extravagant presentations to lure in, well, more victims. In early 2016, club members wishing to withdraw proceeds were met with excuses, delays, and hidden fees and reportedly told that they must recruit new members if they wanted to receive the returns. The defendants also tried to conceal the scheme and their involvement by requesting membership payments in cash, allegedly laundering at least $20 million of proceeds through various trusts and bank accounts and removing negative information about the scheme from the internet. As Cointelegraph reported last month, one member of the of another early crypto-based Ponzi scheme that netted $722 million pled guilty to counts of wire fraud, and of course, selling unregistered securities. So be aware, but there's a little snippet in here and I have no idea if there's a relation or not, but Panama, that guy was arrested in Panama. He was the fifth of the four people that, are, uh, he was the fifth of the five people that were actually caught and arrested, but he was arrested in Panama. Why is that important? Because that's where Richard Hart Wynn, the guy from Hexcoin, Use either still lives or had a whole lot of time down there. All kinds of chicanery with Richard Hart Wynn from Hex. So if somebody's trying to sell you Hex coin, I don't know, man. That stuff and you know, people and and cryptocurrencies that have anything to do with Panama, I would probably just stay as far away from it as possible. In fact, just if it's not Bitcoin, just run away. China has over ten thousand new blockchain companies in twenty twenty so far. Oh my god. This is actually out of forecast news, but it's being reprinted by decrypt.co sometime this morning. Despite the coronavirus pandemic continued onslaught on the global economy, China's blockchain sector has exploded with over 10,000 blockchain related companies being created in the first seven months of this year. Oh my God, dude. According to blockchain and crypto analytics platform Longhash, the number of new blockchain companies established in China in 2020 is on track to surpass that of 2019. Out of the total, 91,373 registered blockchain companies, around 30,700 currently remain in operation. That's one out of every three. With about 61,000 having lost their legal status or had their licenses revoked. Southern China's Guangdong Province, home to the burgeoning tech hub city of Shenzhen, hosts the largest number of blockchain companies in the country at 26,000. Xinjiang province, where coal is abundant and energy for cryptocurrency mining is cheap, holds the second largest number of blockchain companies at 5,405. Chinese President Xi Jinping extolled the virtues of blockchain in 2019, urging a national strategy supporting the research, development, and investment of blockchain and triggering a raft of interest in the technology in various sectors. China has recently announced plans for a blockchain-based governance system in the country's capital, Beijing, and Chinese companies are forecasted to invest $2.7 billion into blockchain technology by 2023, according to a report by the International Data Corporation. In addition to China's Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security adding blockchain jobs to its official list, and other projects such as the Blockchain Service Network, linking companies to national blockchain efforts. The surge of blockchain companies in the country signals growing interest in the field. How can it not? 
with all the blockchain going on. According to Longhash, over 46% of those blockchain companies that are registered and currently operating start out with a small amount of capital. Despite the ongoing trade war between the U.S. and China, fintech firms in China raised a total of $39 billion in funding as of June, according to figures from the China Internet Report 2020 released by the South China Morning Post. About 80% of those companies listed in the report is, or sorry, uh, 80% of those companies listed in the report as top funded startups have experimented with blockchain pilots or have invested in the technology's development and 40% of e-commerce companies are following suit. But as previously reported by media partner forecast.news, many companies using blockchain to describe their businesses may not actually be using blockchain, according to PA data. Quote, the reality is that 96% of the more than 30,000 blockchain companies in China are not actually operating with blockchain as their core technology, said Bai Liang, vice director of Chinese Institute of Digital Assets, during a 2019 speech. Well, duh. I mean, of course they're not using actual blockchain. It's all ridiculous. It's just buzzwords so that they can scalp anybody they can into giving money because I don't know, maybe they think they're going to, you know, going to need it here in the future. Frankly, they probably are. They should probably just buy Bitcoin. Let's run the numbers. All right, let's see what's going on with markets. Is anything interesting at all even remotely happening with the major indices? We'll find out upon refresh and the answer would be meh i mean everything is sub one point uh in so far as either going up or down so i don't know man i just kind of like look at this as is sideways and a little to the right except for the shanghai which is actually down one and one quarter point uh all the bond yields are down way down uh it's going to cost you point four seven percent to hold the german 10-year bond uh, energies and commodities are also down except for wheat and copper. We have, oh, let's see, half a point down in oil, a third of a point down in natural gas. Gold went back under $2,000 yet again. It is at $1,989 per troy ounce. Silver is down one and a third of a point and is sitting at $27.70. Real money, however, suggests pretty much the same kind of movements. As you know, if you're listening to this, BTC has uh, it has completed its BART pattern, even though it was a little bit on the lopsided uh, right-hand lopsided side. Maybe, I don't know, maybe more of a, uh, a Lisa? I don't know. Anyway, it went up on the left side and it went down on the right side. I call in BART. Bitcoin at $11,778. Looks like I got a high over at uh, what's going to be its bid asset eleven thousand eight hundred and fifty nine, and yeah, okay. So the low was eleven thousand seven hundred seventy eight. Uh, Three hundred six thousand transactions were conducted over the last twenty four hours. That gives us about twelve thousand seven hundred transactions being conducted per hour. One point eight million BTC have changed hands in that twenty four hour period which means that 77,000 BTC are being sent on average per hour with an average transaction value of 6.12 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.056 BTC or 662 bucks. Block times are approaching 12 minutes. We have 11 minutes and 43 seconds. We have uh, 1.16 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 150 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have the hash rate sitting at 111 exahashes per second. That is almost a full point drop to the downside. Ethereum is at 414, Bcash at 297, Litecoin at 62, almost 63, BSV at 211, and uh, Ethereum Classic at $7.15. Doge is holding at 0.0035. With 53,000 transactions over the day, Dogecoin is above Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and Bcash as usual. Bcash seems to have a little bump 
they are almost up to, wow, they're almost up to 18,600 transactions for an entire day. That's a lot of usage right there. Clark Moody Bitcoin telling me that 11,796 is the price of the Bitcoins. Clark Moody Mempool is showing 54,983 transactions awaiting to clear, and it's going to take 43 blocks to do that. Uh, we have 990 and a half Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. That gives us $11.7 million of liquidity spread across 7,365 nodes, representing 36,517 channels. Tor capacity percentage is at 45.7%, and that means that 452.14 BTC are in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and two point, or sorry, 2,167 Tor nodes are on the Lightning, uh, Tor side of the Lightning Network. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Part two of the morning roundup begins now with Turkey residents panicking over massive inflation. Ting Pang is writing this for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Uh, let's see here. Rampant inflation is affecting Turkish residents' confidence in the nation's lira fiat currency. According to a Reuters report on August the 14th, locals are dumping lira, converting it to dollars or buying gold. Even with market interventions and reassuring stories about monetary stability coming from the government, the locals' faith in the lira is on a downward trajectory. Inflation is currently at 11.8% and has overtaken the amount of interest offered for savings at banks. One resident was quoted as saying he had bought gold as a safe haven asset. Quote, I think it is the best investment right now, so I converted my dollars to buy gold. I might withdraw my lira and buy gold with it too, but I'm scared to go to the bank right now because of the coronavirus. I know, man, I, I so want to throw on a tinfoil hat for that right now, but I can't. Locals expect more panic selling of the lira if the government cannot boost confidence in the currency, which has dropped by almost 20% in 2020. Turkey's economy depends mostly on imports. The pandemic has worsened inflation and also may it, it and it may also cause a balance of payment crisis further weakening the currency as fiat currency like lira continue to lose value due to massive inflation bitcoin's market cap has reportedly become greater than bank of america and of course the new zealand dollar while reports of widespread crypto adoption in Turkey have been debunked recently, local exchange BTC Turk conducted a small survey with the Istanbul University Statistic Appliance and Research Center in July. It found that during the COVID-19 pandemic, trust in Bitcoin increased by 23%, while satisfaction spiked 58.5%. Using um, Usage among the Turkish audience has reportedly doubled since February of 2019. So there you go. The, the Turks are in trouble. They've been in trouble for a while, but it's, it's going south like a duck in winter. Goldman Sachs is hiring a new vice president of digital assets. I remember when they used to laugh at us. They don't seem to be laughing anymore. Turner Wright writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Investment banking giant Goldman Sachs is hiring a new vice president in the digital assets team within its global markets division in London. According to a recent job posting on the investment firm's website, the new VP will work with the digital assets team in defining and executing Goldman Sachs distributed ledger technology and blockchain efforts firm-wide, including any potential initiatives in the cryptocurrency space, end quote. The role requires that any applicants be able to identify opportunities where blockchain and DLT digital assets can add value. I, I can't wait to see. I would love to see that pile of resumes. I would absolutely love to see who is like, who's throwing their hat in the ring for that one. Hell, I might do that. I mean, I, it's probably good pay. The current global head of digital assets for Goldman Sachs is Matthew McDermott, who assumed the role on August the 6th. The recent addition of McDermott and the call for fresh blood indicates Goldman Sachs is taking a more proactive approach to crypto assets in uncertain economic times. McDermott said in an August 6 interview with CNBC that the firm is exploring the commercial 
viability of creating a fiat digital token, purportedly a stablecoin pegged to the U.S. dollar. Of course, quote, in the next five to 10 years, you could see a financial system where all assets and liabilities are native to the blockchain with all transactions natively happening on the blockchain, end quote. Ugh, it hurts. The strengthening of the digital assets team come after the investors call in May, in which Goldman Sachs analyst argued that Bitcoin lacked legitimacy, provided no cash flow, didn't provide diversification, and hadn't shown any evidence of being an inflation hedge. <laughs> just, God, just the sheer amount of stupid is just, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So the OCC's crypto custody letter, you remember that one? Well, apparently they've been doing that for, uh, they've been working on that letter for years. According to this one from Coindesk, it was written yesterday by Nicholas Day, a federal banking regulator's decision to let banks provide crypto custody services may have seemed out of the blue, but the agency has been looking at cryptocurrency for years, apparently. Okay, let's get into it. The Office of the Comptroller of the Currency announced last month that federally regulated banks could provide services to crypto startups in addition to custody. It turns out the OCC was already leaning toward the move before acting comptroller Brian Brooks took the top job at the agency. Indeed, the OCC has been examining the cryptocurrency space since at least 2018 and likely longer, said Jonathan Gould, senior deputy comptroller and chief counsel. He told Coindesk that the very act of writing an interpretive letter typically takes months. Quote, before we put pen to paper, that process can sometimes, well, take a while, he said. The OCC's interpretive letter last month opened the door for banks to provide services to crypto companies in addition to custody services for cryptocurrencies directly, but it's unlikely that banks will immediately start providing either service. Rather, these letters are supposed to help banks that are also interested in crypto determine whether it makes sense for them to begin getting involved in the space, Gould said. Banks still need to ensure that they have proper risk management practices and Otherwise, ensure they are prepared legally to offer these services before they can actually do so. The process of creating an interpretive letter typically begins when a bank makes a request or the OCC sees a number of similar requests from different institutions. The actual act of drafting interpretive letters can take weeks or months, Gould said, quote, A lot of times we just provide informal advice, meaning advice about what we think is okay, and when we do, <coughs> we do so without putting anything in writing, he said, but sometimes we put things into these interpretive letters, uh, letter forms. So again, it's a function of a kind of, well, the nature of the issue, end quote. The OCC looks at how many banks are asking about a specific issue or whether the regulatory agency itself thinks there might be a commonly held question. With these factors determining whether there will be an informal response or a formal letter, Quote, the kind of process to actually write an interpretive letter like this one that doesn't necessarily take a huge amount of time, he said, but kind of thinking through the legal and other issues associated with an issue that can take a lot longer depending upon the complexity of the issue, end quote. The letter is just the beginning of a longer process. The OCC will interact with banks on their next steps if they do decide to pursue crypto services. Quote, there are a whole host of legal, regulatory, and supervisory expectations that we have, he said, especially with new activities that involve kind of iterative and interactive dialogue with the OCC supervisors about how some XYZ activity can be done in a safe and sound fashion, whatever risks are associated, when activity can be appropriately kind of managed and so forth, end quote. The OCC has published more than 1,100 letters it believes are precedential in or otherwise of interest to the general public. Gould did not say how long the OCC had been working on last month's letter on crypto services specifically, but reiterated that it could take the agency weeks or months to draft a 10-page letter. The OCC has been considering the legal and supervisory questions around crypto for years, he said, prior to Brooks joining the agency from his previous role at Coinbase. God, uh, but, uh, excuse me, but Brooks, 
has been able to bring specific knowledge about the crypto space to the agency. Quote, it is certainly the case, however, that because we have an acting comptroller who is exceptionally knowledgeable about these areas that has been hugely beneficial in terms of the agency's thinking and understanding, Gould said. Banks that are now interested in branching out into crypto should reach out to their local OCC supervisors if they have additional questions. And Gould said he hopes institutions that are looking at crypto reach out sooner rather than later. Quote, this is and will continue to be a learning process for, for us from a supervisory perspective. And so we really need that engagement and welcome it on our end, Gould said. Oh, isn't that sweet? So, takeaway, they didn't write this letter just because they decided that they didn't have anything better to do. They wrote this letter because a bunch of banks were calling them and saying, I, I, we need to know what the hell's going on. That's bullish. I'm sorry, but it is. It's just, it's, I'm just going to call it right now. This, this is bullish. Uh, oh, 98% of all the Bitcoin is now worth more than when you bought it. Cointelegraph's William Suberg writing it two hours ago at around $12,000 buying Bitcoin has been profitable uh, for you know, pretty much 97.6 of all the days since April 2013. 2013. Bitcoin has delivered gains to its holders on almost... 98% of all days since 2013, the data confirms. According to a dedicated a social media-based monitoring resource which tracks profitability, buying Bitcoin has made its holders richer on 97.6% of days. Put another way, as on-chain analytics service Glassnow noted in its The Week on Chain weekly report on Monday, 97.6% of Bitcoin unspent transaction outputs are in profit. This means that only 2.4% of UTXOs were created as part of a transaction between wallets when the BTC price was higher than current levels at around $12,000. Okay, honestly, that means a whole lot of people did not FOMO in past $12,000. Only 2.4% of all the, of, of, I don't know, all the holders or all the UTXOs, I guess is a better way to say it, did not get in to that massive spike to $19,800. So when people like Peter Schiff, let's just take him as an example because he's easy to beat up on. When he says things like, all those people that bought in above, and you will say above 15,000, not that many people actually did. Not that many actually did. You tell Peter that, that out of, at the price we're at today, that only 2.4% of UTXOs were conducted at those, during that peak. Okay. You be sure to tell Peter, I told you to tell him that Peter loves me. Extended periods at this level and above are characteristic of bull runs as BTC moves towards new all-time highs, at which point the metric reaches 100%. Glass node commented, despite a slight pullback overnight on Tuesday, Bitcoin continues to delight hodlers with monthly gains still at almost 30%. A retracement for gold and stocks appeared to fuel selling pressure, but under the hood, Bitcoin's fundamentals remain, well, stronger than ever. As Cointelegraph reported, hash rate has hit its highest ever average rate, while difficulty is set to follow suit at the next readjustment in four days' time. Continuing, Glassnode added that each time UTXO profitability passes 95%, it sparks a brief but intense bull run for BTC lasting up to three months. Other metrics, meanwhile, suggest that Bitcoin is rather at the start of a longer bull run than at the end of a sudden uptick, specifically Glassnode's compass, which employs a basket of factors to chart Bitcoin strength, continues to flash firmly bullish. Quote, the compass's continued position in the upper right quadrant provides an optimistic signal of continued bullish sentiment and on-chain activity, the report added. Quote, this trend supports the widely circulating speculation that BTC is indeed in the early phases of entering a bull market. Previously, Glassnode noted that Bitcoin's relative strength index, or RSI, was mimicking its performance after the 2016 block subsidy halving, which saw an all-time highs of $20,000 one year later. Okay, no, there you go. 
I really like the thought of using this particular metric of being able to just look at the UTXOs. I don't care how many people hold it. It, it does not matter. It's the actual when the UTXOs are actually moving around, okay? When they become UTXOs. Uh, at what you, we know what date, how, exactly what date and exactly what time to the second that thing moves, right? So we can compare that to where the price was at exactly that second. And I think this is a, I, I honestly think it's a better metric than saying, you know, go, like Goldman Sachs uh, running a survey on their customers asking for sentiment or looking at all their customers' accounts. And I mean, I, I think this is a wonderful way to do it is all I'm, I'm saying. I think it's really cool looking at the UTXO set rather than surveys or looking at people's wallets or account. just like, I don't need to do any of that shit. Just look at the UTXO set. That's all you need to do. I think that's a, a really good way to get, to go about this stuff. Chicanery in Texas. This is out of uh, Texas crypto Alliance dot wordpress.com. I really, yeah, yeah. okay. Well, it, we all do what we can, okay? We all do. Just because it's still a .wordpress.com site doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you know, at least give them a shot. Uh, don't mess with Texas. South African firms targeting Texans and cryptocurrency fraud. Friendly reminder, don't mess with Texas. Uh, you guys got a timestamp on this? Dude, timestamps are important, please. Okay, but this actually did just get released uh, yesterday. I just don't know what time. South African firms targeted Austinites with a cryptocurrency credit card scheme and got busted by the state of Texas Securities Board with an emergency cease and desist order. The fraudulent firm, Liquidity Gold Trust, Liquidity Gold Solutions LLC, and Liquidity Global Card Solution PTY Limited had the gall to run radio ads on 590 AM KLBJ Radio, a popular center-right news talk radio station in Austin, promoting their fraudulent scheme. Uh, the, the scheme is built on issuing a, quote, liquidity card from MasterCard that works like a traditional debit card, but using stable coins instead of fiat, specifically USDC, uh, true USD coin, and PAX coin. I guess Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss and their Gemini dollar, GUSD, are not well-known names in South Africa, before their cameo with, of course, Davy Day Trader. According to the Texas State Securities Board, the South African firm's stablecoin debit card schemes as a fraud. Nice, nice. Great work once again to the Texas State Securities Board for continuing to crack down on crypto fraud in Texas while taking a hands-off approach to the rest of the growing industry. So, yeah, that's going on in Texas. The fact that they took out radio ads on KLBJ, I mean, if you're anywhere even remotely close to Texas or have lived here or been here, you you have probably come in contact with KLBJ in some form, fashion, or another. Been around forever. Huge radio station. They took out ads on the radio. I mean that's a, that's some that's pretty gall move right there, bro. All right, last up, Grayscale hits record six billion dollars of assets under management as institutional demand for Bitcoin surges. Joseph Young, writing for BTC Times as of August the eighteenth or yesterday, uh, investment firm Grayscale's assets under management surpassed $6 billion USD, or sorry, $6 billion USD for the first time. The firm's CEO, Barry Silbert, shared showing a continuous increase in institutional demand for Bitcoin, and they've got a, a Barry Silbert tweet there. <clears throat> the firm's most widely used product is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which allows investors to gain exposure to Bitcoin through a stock traded on OTC markets. The largest product among Grayscale's suite of investment vehicles is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Each share of BTC or GBTC represents a 0.00095723 Bitcoin, about one thousandth of a Bitcoin or one one thousandth. Institutions typically buy a large number of shares in BTC, it should be GBTC, to hold Bitcoin through Grayscale, which offers security risk of directly holding a Bitcoin. 
for institutions, Bitcoin is a different asset compared to the traditional investment vehicles they hold. The concept of self-custody is still relatively new to institutions, which might make custody products more appealing in the near future. The assets under management of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust represents the inflow of institutional capital into Bitcoin, at least in the United States market. According to Grayscale's first half report, for 2020, institutions were the main driver of the firm's products from January to August. Nearly 84% of the investments came from institutional investors, accounting for the overwhelming majority of Grayscale's inflows. The report reads, quote, Institutional investors continued to be the dominant driver of investment capital, accounting for 84% of investment. 81% of returning institutional investors in the second quarter of 2020 have now allocated to multiple products, an increase from 71% in T12M. I don't know what the hell, I've never seen that one, but whatever. Additionally, new investors accounted for 124.1 million of inflows and 57% of the investor base in the second quarter of 2020, which is up to 49% during the, I guess the time, the 12 month time period, just say year over year, guys, God, apart from Grayscale's optimistic figures, there is another data point that shows growing institutional involvement. Data from the analytics firm SKU shows that the open interest in CME's Bitcoin futures market has risen to $948 million USD, an almost threefold increase from July of the July the 20th. When the open interest was at a mere $372 million. Wow. It's like Grayscale, CME also tailors to accredited and institutional investors. The CME Bitcoin futures market is primarily used by institutions to bet for or against Bitcoin without risks of holding Bitcoin directly. The term open interest describes the sum of all long and short contracts in the market it shows that nearly a billion dollars are anticipating the near-term price trend of Bitcoin. The threefold increase in the CME futures markets open interest indicates an increasing institutional wow. <laughs> open interest indicates an increasing institutional activity in the Bitcoin market. Holy shit, Joseph. Stop using so many words that begin with I all in a row. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Thank God. All right, man, that was rough. I want to thank all of you guys for bearing, bearing with me through that one. That was a, I don't know, man, that was one of the roughest ones that I've ever done. Uh, this whole going back to school online thing, whoo, man, just, I so want to just homeschool my kids and pull them completely out of the school system while I have the chance. Because as more and more people, folks do that, um, I, it starts making me wonder exactly how long it's going to take various states, counties, municipalities, and what have you to make it even more difficult. In Texas, it's pretty damn easy. All I got to do is just tell them they're, they're out and then sign a piece of paper. That's literally all I have to do. They say that I've got to present exactly the curriculum. They, well, they, they, the only thing that I have to do is tell them what the uh, curriculum I'm going to teach them is, but I don't have to show it to them. I I don't have to I don't have to prove it to them. I don't they don't have to take like I don't have to have them take a test uh, and then submit it to the state education board or some some weird crap like that. Nope, I just pull them out of school and I say here's the curriculum that they're going to be having and it has to it has to be an approved curriculum and that's it. Other states there's not so easy. I'm sure there's probably at least one state that is even easier, but you know, maybe like I don't know like in the Dakotas or like Montana or something like that. But other than that, if I was trying to do this in California or New York State, good luck. And if I don't pull them out now, um, I don't know what Texas is going to do. I think Texas would definitely be one of the very few states or one of the very last states to enact some kind of draconian weirdness that does something like, I don't know, like you now have to pay like twice as much property taxes because you pulled your kids out of school. I mean, there's all manner of stuff that they can that they can do. But yeah, this whole 
fiasco this morning. It's like nobody had anything, you know, none of the, the school district just didn't seem like they had anything together. And it wasn't on the IT side. It was on the communication side. I got one email from my daughter's teacher telling me login information. Um, and I get another email from my son's teacher about login information and they're actually different, but it's the same independent school district. And I mean, and it, it begins there, but it certainly doesn't end there. Anyway, if you're thinking about doing it, find out what you got to do to do it without pissing anybody off and getting, you know, well, it's not that you don't want to piss them off. That's fine. If they get pissed off, it's, the repercussions. Okay. You got to figure out what you can do and how you can get away with it. But if you're going to do it, chances are real good. We might need to be thinking very seriously about doing it now, because as more people do do it, then the school systems are going to really start feeling the crunch. And then you're going to get the lobby groups. Then you're going to get the union groups. And then all the people are going to go to all their state legislatures and they're going to do anything that they can to shore this shit up and make sure nobody else leaks out. So as long as the, as long as the dam is leaky, you might want to get to the other side. Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.